Welcome to the Post-Christian Podcast. My name is Eric Bryant. I'm one of the executive pastors at Gateway in Austin, Texas. My foundation exists to equip and empower church leaders in reaching new people and raising up leaders. I'm the author of Not Like Me and Fruitful, Becoming Who God Created You to Be. Join me on social media for Through the New Testament for Skeptics and Seekers. And be sure to sign up for my email newsletter where you can receive free resources at ericbryant.org. Well, on today's episode of the Post-Christian Podcast, I'm excited to have with me Jason Jaggard. How are you doing, Jason? I'm good, Eric. Thanks for having me on your show. Oh, my goodness. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about your book, Beyond High Performance. I actually often talk to folks about the books that will be coming out, so it's fun to actually talk to someone after having read the book, uh, highlighted all through the book, uh, started referring people to the book. So I'm just excited to talk to you about this. We go way back. I think we yes. even met 20 years ago. 20. Can I tell a story? Can I tell a story from my side? I would love um, to hear it. Yes, please. So, yeah. So, and I want to say to people who are listening to this, um, Eric Bryant has had a huge impact in my life and he, he, uh, led me, uh, when we were working at Mosaic together and we'll probably talk more about that later, but he, uh, you know, every every leader is a work in progress. But when he met me, I was like a super work in progress, and so he was very patient, very kind, very um, giving. And I would not be a lot of the good things that I love about my life have come from that environment, that season. And so, Eric, thank you for investing in me, and I'm very grateful. And I'm excited to you know share whatever I can to help the folks who you are influencing as well. Well, you're incredibly kind to say that. I mean, I have just loved watching your impact around the world, uh, starting companies, helping people really magnify their capacity. And I'm a huge believer in leadership coaches, uh, even for pastors, church leaders to have a coach, just to be able to see, see themselves maybe differently. But you've introduced some things here that um, were brand new to me. And I want to talk about that for a little bit because- yeah. You say at the very beginning of the book, you don't have to want less and you don't have to destroy yourself in the pursuit of more. And yeah. so then you go in to talk about, you know, beyond high performance is someone that is more of a meta performer. So talk for a moment, just what is a meta performer? Yeah. So, well, a meta, the technical definition of a meta performer is someone who's constantly redefining what high performance means for them. And so with the quote that you you said, by the way, so I I I'm not going to geek out too much, but it, it means so much to me that you read my book. Like, thank you for, <laughs> thank oh, you for it was reading fair. it. Thank you for <laughs> you highlighted things, and I mean, you you've written books. You know what it's like when anyone reads your book. It just means so much, and that someone like you who played the role that you did in my life that you read my book. It just feels really good. So well, um, and it's a really good book, Jason. You, it's you. really good book. So I find that with our clients, and we have hundreds of clients all over the world, and and I think you can say this as well, and I would certainly say it about myself, is all of us have this sense that we can do more, that we could that we could do more, maybe even that we should do more. Um, but that's also scary, right? Because we like the lives that we have most of the time, and we don't want to ruin. And fr- frankly, I think we've seen examples of, especially in church work, people who've gone after more uh, mm-hmm. and maybe blew things up or ruined things or you know those types of deal. And so how do you... That's the question we wanted to answer is how do you... I think in one phrase in the book, we say, how do you burn bright without burning out? What I've also discovered is most people, one of the reasons why they feel that way is because we try to accomplish more 
with the same thinking, the same habits, the same patterns, the same um, ideas that that got us to where we are today. And that almost never works. And so oftentimes when we go into trainings, we say, hey, we're going to help you get more done. And people then they freak out uh, because they're like, well, if in order to get more done, we have to work harder. I'm going to have to work more hours. So then we say, well, what if we could help you get more done in less time? And then people perk up. And so, and that's what coaching does. And I know that you're, you're a coach and you're doing coaching now. And and that man, if you're listening to this and you don't, it doesn't have to be a coach or even professionalized, but if you don't have people in your life who are helping you upgrade the intentionally upgrade the ways that you think uh, and behave and your habits, um, man, you're just leaving all sorts of value on the table. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's absolutely true. I actually shared uh, recently at our church here in, in Austin about my first experience at Mosaic. And for me, that person uh, gave me a chance and kind of spoken to my life was Gerardo. Yeah. And uh, if you remember Gerardo and so yeah, Gerardo I, I, Marty, yeah. yes, that's right. So I, I kind of had this phrase that, you know, we all need a Gerardo and we need to be a Gerardo to someone else, you know, yes. exactly what you're saying there. But yes, one of my favorite lines in the book is meta performers turn the impossible into Tuesday. I just thought that was great. By the way, your your humor comes through throughout the book oh, in addition to the insights. But one of my favorite parts is how you reframed work. You know, we could describe ourselves as prisoners, mercenaries, missionaries. You pose this idea of becoming more like an athlete and you introduce the 100,000 hour rule. T talk about the 100,000 hour rule. <laughs> well, you know, uh, when we talk about work, when most people think about whether they're happy or unhappy at work, oftentimes they're talking about their relationships, you know, with your boss, like you are my boss. So, you know, there, there's that element or, or your colleagues, you know, David Arcos was a colleague of mine or Gerardo Marty and those types of folks or the people who like volunteer on your teams, you know, like Rosanna Tomiuk was a volunteer and mm -hmm. we worked together, whatever. Uh, but what we discovered in coaching, um, the most important relationship you have at work is your relationship with work. And so most people don't realize that they, not only do they have relationships at work, but they have relationships with work. And that's where we use those different models is like some people relate to work like a prisoner, like they have to go to work or like a mercenary, like they go to work because it pays the bills, but if someone offers you you know more money someplace else, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, where we where we use the the thousand the hundred thousand hour rule, most people know the ten thousand hour rule from Malcolm Gladwell, and I think Eric Erickson and others. Um, but the reality is is you're gonna spend, and this is kind of depressing, but you're gonna you're gonna spend a hundred thousand hours in your lifetime working. And so the the and you can, if, if you have a prisoner mindset and you think about that, you're like, wow, that sounds awful. You know, if you have a missionary mindset, you might think, well, that sounds lucrative, you know? Um, but what we really want to the, the suggest in the, the 100,000 hour rule is how can you maximize those 100,000 hours to become a certain kind of person and to have a certain kind of impact in the world and to really look at that not as a place just to slave away or to uh, make some green and, you know, live hard, work hard or whatever. But really to grow, and that's that's the athlete's mindset. Is how do you relate to work like an athlete, where every meeting you lead is a chance for you to practice becoming a certain kind of leader. Every mm. conflict you have, every moment with your, and this applies both both inside of work and outside of work. You know, I mean, with athletes, we talk about this, and I'll shut up here in a second. But uh, you know, with, with with athletes, when you think about an athlete, most of what you think about is them performing in front of an audience with crowds and stadiums and. And there's, you know, some, some of the folks who are in our firm are Stanley Cup, uh, you know, winning hockey players and people who graduated from our programs are like Olympic athletes and, and multiple gold medal athletes. And, and, uh, you know, when you think about like Lauren Holiday, who graduated from our program, uh, you know, you see her on a podium. If you Google her, it's all public. 
but most of what athletes do is unbelievably private. You know, mm. all of Lorna's practice, there's no crowds, there's no audience, no one cares. When you're going to the gym, no one cares. There's no cameras or anything, unless you're weird. You know, so uh, what is it? And in the same way, you know, Eric, I've known you for a long time. I love the way that you father. I love I love the way that you uh, husband. You know, uh, and but your best moments as a dad, no one sees. Mm-hmm. Your best moments as a husband, when you like forgive, when you want to be bitter or whatever, like no one's ever going to know. And yet, those are your greatest moments. Those those that's what creates your greatness. And so, to to have an athlete's mindset is. In work, in every meeting you have, or every email you send, you're practicing becoming extraordinary. And and in your private life, you know, in every every conversation you have with the spouse, or every moment you you volunteer your church, or if, you know, or if you're on staff, you know, every moment you you uh, go on vacation, or you know, you're practicing becoming a certain kind of person. And so, to, coaching helps people embrace an athlete's mindset and mm-hmm. really um, give their best of their life, so that someday uh, at the end of their life they can really feel like they left it all on the field. Yeah. I love that. And just this stretch to increase your capacity. I actually went through the book and took some of what I highlighted and uh, brought out some of those questions just to start using with my team. Thank you. Because you you really are good at reframing uh, just, you know, maybe things we've thought about, but kind of stretching it into a new way. Uh, I always thought you were really good at that. Of course, you know, I, we're mentored by Irwin, who you mentioned yeah. in the acknowledgments. He's really good at that. Yes. But yeah, one of nice. my one of my favorites, uh, you said this, healthy teams and communities aren't just about whether you're in the right community for you, but whether you are the right kind of community for others. Talk about the importance of a team, having a team, being a good teammate, designing a community that brings out the best in others. Yeah. Well, I want to quote one of my mentors. Uh, his name's Eric Bryant. And... <laughs> He said one time to me 20 years ago, if everyone shows up to a group looking for a hug, no one's going to get one. But mm. if everyone shows up looking to give a hug, everyone will get a hug and there'll be even more to spare. <laughs> and um, I, you know, I think about that all the time. And when I was writing that chapter, that chapter I think is on teams and the importance of community. It, like Becoming an extraordinary person is, is always a team sport. And we are fanatical mm. about that. Uh, mm. At, at Novus Global and the Institute. And, um, you know, most people when they're in communities or at a job are unintentionally, I think, I think they don't necessarily mean to do this, but it is consumptive. It's like, how, you know, how is this job providing for me? Um, how can I use things to make me better? How is this impacting mm-hmm. me? And usually when you hear people tell stories about, you know, I, I see this on Instagram all the time, you know, like, don't listen to the haters. It's always it's always so interesting when people on Instagram say don't listen to the haters. I'm like, who's hating you? <laughs> like, <laughs> as far as I know, I don't think anyone hates me. You know, I, th- I have people who are annoyed by me, but I don't think I have any. I'm not that important. <laughs> you know, like I haven't earned the role of anyone in anyone's the villain of anyone's life as far as as far as I know. And so there is kind of this like, if your life is struggling, it's because it's somebody else's fault. It's because there's mm-hmm. the haters. There's you know all these people, and it's their fault that your life is in a certain way. And we wanted to flip that script a little bit and and be like, hey, like it's not just about you finding the right community for you. Mm-hmm. It's about you being and creating the right community for others. And if if you're always looking for the right community for you, you'll be probably community homeless for a while. We know people who bounce from church to church to church or whatever, and and nothing's ever good enough. You know, mm-hmm. they always they're never they're always looking for that perfect church, whatever. And 
And man, that's a that's a classic recipe, not only for loneliness, but an atrophy of ability because you can't mm. incubate your gifts by yourself. And so you're just looking for yeah. this thing that doesn't exist. So if you can flip that, and if you're able to flip that and say, hey, I'm not looking for the perfect community, I'm looking to create community with others. Uh, well, then you will not only have community for the rest of your life, uh, but you will become a certain kind of person that you'll be really proud of as, and, and more powerful and have a greater impact and not for nothing, but create more wealth and all those types of things. So it's just a more powerful way of looking at how to build community. Well, in, in this, the section on ownership and uh, you know the, the, the way that blame can get in the way yeah. and the importance of feedback, maybe give us a little bit of, of what you share on the importance of ownership and, and, and being able to receive good feedback and hard feedback too. Yeah. Well, we, so I think we have a chapter on love and that's where we talk about feedback and we define, we define love. It's not the only way to define love. So love is obviously a multifaceted diamond and uh, you know, there's lots of scriptures that talk about love from different perspectives. And so, but one of the, one of the facets of the diamond that uh, doesn't get a lot of press is this idea of fierce advocacy and you know you and so and that's that is very apropos when it comes to leadership you know to lead others is to be fierce advocates for them for other people and and that fierce word is important to us at the firm because that means because coaching is about uh believing in people sometimes more than they believe in themselves and believing in people so fiercely that it's uncomfortable for them you know mm-hmm. i think that jesus was really good at that people felt radically accepted by him um, but also he, he called things out of people that were uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can't imagine what Peter was feeling when he, when he, you know, he was like, come and follow me and I will make you influencers of men and women. You know, that's a, that's uncomfortable to live into, to step into. And mm-hmm. so how do we do that? And part of that is feedback. You know, whenever we, one of the things I say in the book that has really struck a chord with readers is whenever we withhold feedback from people, which I am prone to do, and I think a lot of leaders are prone to do, especially in faith communities, uh, when we hold feedback from, back from each other, what we're really saying is, I don't love you. I don't mm. love you enough to be honest with you. I don't love you enough to uh, share this perspective as a mechanism of helping you get to where you want to go or where God has called you to go. Mm. And so we have a vision of the firm of what would be possible, and coaching can be a part of this, will be possible uh, if people were committed to giving each other feedback with a lens of humility and love mm. and advocacy. And by the way, you know, uh, some of the reasons why I get to do what I do now is because of feedback you've given me. Mm. And imagine if you would have withheld that. Now, mm. I know you probably withheld some feedback <laughs> and, <laughs> and I might, you know, maybe I'm grateful for that, but <laughs> you know, you gave me feedback and I remember that feedback and I took it to heart. And maybe mm. I didn't like it at first, um, but every time we withhold feedback from people, we are slowing down their mm. growth curve. Mm. And I'm so grateful, you know, that you, Eric, and Erwin, and others had the courage and loved me enough to to give me feedback, and that helped me get to where I am, and and hopefully helps me get beyond where I am. Well, it's it's incredibly important. I mean, even Jesus, when you read, you know, the kindness he showed the sinner and how he would rebuke. The religious leader, and sometimes you read those passages and think, "Man, Jesus was not very nice to them." Uh-huh. But you know, it actually worked. Like Nicodemus, yeah. Joseph of Arimathea, like they needed that kind of truth to come around. That's right. And, and, and I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so, and I, this is something I think you do very well. I think Erwin does it well. There are other people we know and respect who do this well. Um, it's you know. You don't read the scriptures as it is. You read the scriptures as you are. And so mm. I think people, you know, I, I I just imagine how many, let's say, men 
have have justified violence because Jesus, you know, made mm-hmm. a whip and drove out the tax collectors. Right. You know, kind of a deal. And so it's really easy to weaponize the more powerful moments of Jesus and misapply them. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I think you and I've seen others. And uh, I remember really, I was in a coaching training one time with one of my other mentors where I saw him like come at somebody and he said very intense and very hard and very disruptive things. But I felt that guy's love. I felt his big heart. Mm. And I was like, oh, if you read a transcript of this, it would look abusive. <laughs> you know, not like in a clinical way, but just like generally, right. like that's not, right. you know. But if you to be there in to be there and watch it happen in real time, you see the tears in his eyes and mm. you see his fierce compassion and belief in this in the person he was confronting. And mm. the person who he's confronting, you can see them receive it as love. Mm. You know, it was, a, it was a beautiful defining moment for me. And I think, you know, the more connected you are to love the, and the more loving people perceive you to be, the more willing they are to hear the hard stuff. Yeah. And uh, I'm t- now I'm kind of just talking about my, talking to myself, like I need to turn my volume up on love mm. and, it, and it gives you freedom to then say things a little more harshly because people know that you're saying it for their benefit. Yeah, no, that's good. Well, you include six values in the book and they spell an acronym, go live. Yes. Uh, Thank you for saying it right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, growth, ownership, love, integrity, vision, energy. Talk about how they all work together, how they expand on each other, how they all can point towards wisdom. I just loved how you summarized the entire book there at the end. Oh uh, yeah, well we we talked so in the, one of my favorite chapters that no one else likes but me is the bridge between um part 1 and part 2. Mm-hmm. And, and so when we talk about so most so we talk about unidoxical thought, mm-hmm. paradoxical thought. So most people um kind of see things from their perspective and their way is the right way and I am guilty of that as well. You know, it's it's very difficult to not be that way. Then you have like the next level up which is paradoxical thought. That's where you can hold two conflicting ideas in your head at the same time. Uh, and then, and then we coin a phrase in a book called multidoxical thought, which is where mm-hmm. you're able to hold an ecosystem of paradoxes together all at the same time. And you know what? If you're a, a spiritual leader and you're listening to this, that is your job description. Mm-hmm. You know, you are. I think Andy Stanley says it's not a problem to solve; it's a tension to manage. Mm-hmm. Like leadership, especially spiritual leadership, is navigating all these paradoxes. And so, those values you just mentioned: growth, ownership, love, integrity, vision, and energy. Those are all paradoxes to us like you know sometimes you, with growth you got to slow down to speed up you know with love you got to risk it to have it uh with energy you know you got to work out to have energy which is crazy because when i first started working out it just totally drained me but now it's one of the best parts of my day you know so there's all these paradoxes of leadership and and then culturally how do you how do you teach people one is to value those paradoxes and to see them as paradoxes versus unidoxical islands and how do you invite people into the dance of the tension of that in a way to where you can solve mm-hmm. problems faster together with more? And the word you use is wisdom. You know, and so the last chapter of the book, which I think is what you're referring to originally, uh, is my is is the most important chapter to me. There, there aren't any coin phrases there, so but because uh, I like coin phrases, but and we talk about this idea, and I totally ripped this off. This book winks at the scriptures because we wrote it for uh, we wanted to read it to where if a person of faith read it, they'd be like, oh, I see what you're doing, I see where you're getting oh, yeah. this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then if a person who uh, is not familiar with the scriptures or maybe even antagonistic towards that kind of space, they could they could still find a lot of value in it. And so, yep. by the way, if you're so if you're in spiritual leadership and you're looking for a book that's a bridge, it's a uh, great great example of one. Yeah, I love it. And all my uh, 
uh, friends and family that don't know Jesus, this is my uh, my gift for them at Christmas. Uh, <laughs> that means that means the world to me, um, and that and mine too. You know, we have clients who we we uh, and honestly, I learned this at Mosaic. If you don't mind, yeah. Um, you know, I and I can't remember. I'm sure I don't remember you or Erwin or others, David Arcos, or others saying this explicitly. Maybe I just caught it up, ca- caught it between the lines. You know, but um, m- too often. Um, spiritual leaders are are preaching and speaking, giving answers uh, to questions that people who who are far from God are not asking. Mm-hmm. And so, um, we, what I discovered in spiritual leadership at Mosaic when I was there, and I and you guys graciously let me, you know, play and, and contribute, uh, was man, if I can if I can help people who are like quote irreligious, I guess if I can help people, anybody really, but if I can help people start asking questions like. What does it mean to live an extraordinary life, or what does it mean to have? What does it mean to really explore what I'm capable of, uh, or what does it mean to? What, what is? What's my purpose? What's my meaning in the world? And how do I have as much? How do I experience mm-hmm. as much meaning and purpose and beauty in my life as possible? You know, it's a John ten ten. How do I mm-hmm. have life and a better life than I could ever dream of? Um, then all of a sudden, God becomes very relevant, mm-hmm. and. It is impossible for a person to pursue the extraordinary life and not bump into hmm. God in some kind of tangible way. Yeah. And so, and I feel like that was, you know, I feel like that's part of your legacy, Eric, and and uh, certainly Mosaics. And so, this book, in many ways, is is uh, our attempt to to um, inspire and uh, entice people to ask what we think are the most important questions in life. Hmm. That that God actually would love to be a part of helping you wrestle with, and yeah. and that the only way to really answer them, I think, is to wrestle with God well. So, all that to say, the last chapter is about nobility. And, and I love it. We, we ripped that off from Proverbs thirty-one. Yeah, and uh, and that's become kind of defining attributes of, of the search of my life is what does it mean to be noble, and yeah. uh, that's what we leave the readers with. I love it. Well, Novus.global. You have the Meta Performance Institute. The name of the book. Beyond High Performance, I'll be giving away free copies to some of you who are listening. Hey. Sign up for the newsletter there at my website. Uh, well, last question, uh, which, by the way, I don't know if you knew this or remember this, but uh, you know, all those years ago when we were in L.A. together, you'd babysit my kids. Yes. And uh, you were their favorite. Upon request, we'd get Jason Jagger to come oh, by. That's great. Now they're 24 and 21. It's just amazing how quickly time flies. That's but crazy. I was fascinated by the fact that in your company, everyone all the time is on a performance improvement plan and everyone, these yeah. executive coaches has a coach. Talk yeah. about how important that is, <laughs> which by the way, another great resource is your podcast beyond oh. high performance. The Ed Catmull interview yeah. was fascinating. Isn't that yeah. fun? Oh. oh man. Some it's, other time I'll tell you how I met him. Um, oh, love it. So much fun. Yeah, I love our podcast too. Thank you. And by the way, I'm not on the podcast most of the time. I think I'm on like 30 to 40% of the episodes. Uh, the other episodes are all done by our top coaches. And so I, I I learn from them. I, like, I, I can't wait for episodes to drop so that I can take notes and, and learn it. from our coaches the same way um, that hopefully sometimes people learn from me. But the, uh, the yeah, so the performance improvement plan thing, that came from... I was at this event and the HR head of HR for Netflix was... The former head of HR for Netflix was speaking and and you know, performance improvement plans are funny because usually you get put on one when you're in trouble. And that's weird because, well, and, and they're important, you know, so you can have a paper trail so you don't get sued, you know, when 
you let somebody go or whatever. But uh, that struck me as bizarre because like, who doesn't want to improve their performance? Mm-hmm. You know, like I want to get better. I want to, I'm a, I'm a beginner at being a CEO. You know, I've only been doing this for a couple of years and you know, I, I want to, I want to improve my performance as a CEO and I want to, you know, and every coach in our firm wants to improve their performance as a coach because the better they get as a coach, usually the more money that they make and, and also the bigger the difference you make. And so, you know, Trisha, our COO or J, uh, Joseph Barkley, our, he's the president of the Institute. He wants to, they want to get better and everybody wants to improve. So why, why not have an, a performance improvement plan for everyone since that's what we all want to do around here anyway? And so uh, pretty quickly, we created a culture where everyone's getting coached. Everyone has it like quote, a performance improvement plan. Everyone has the ways they're explicitly trying to grow. And and by the way, what we suggest is don't ever hire a coach who doesn't have a coach. Like this, mm-hmm. it's a it's a weird, it's a weird thing. And you know when when pastors don't have a pastor, that's mm-hmm. when all sorts of not great stuff. Great way uh, to say it. Yeah, can, can happen, right? And so it's the same thing. And and so we really enjoy we practice what we preach not only because it's good marketing, but because uh, we really fiercely believe in our own potential, mm-hmm. and we want to. We want to get as much of that out as we can before we die. And mm-hmm. so coaching is a great way to do that. And performance improvement plans are a great way to do that. And it creates a great culture to where now you don't have to be timid about saying, hey, I think you should, you could add this to your performance improvement plan or, you know, hey, you mind, you could take this to your coach or whatever. It just creates a culture where we're always trying to grow. I love it. Well, Jason, you've done a great job with the book. Really appreciate your investing in us from a distance. Thank you for all you're doing for really advancing good in the world. You've always been great at that, even when you were working with college students back in the day. Yeah. But thank you, Jason. Really amazed at what God's doing in and through you. Thanks for the taking the time with us. Yeah. Thanks, Eric. And if you're listening to this and uh, you know, Eric's coaching now, reach out to him. He's I think he's got some <laughs> other folks he's doing some stuff with. To be around Eric Bryant is to have your life get better. And so do what you can to get closer to his orbit. Thanks, Eric. I appreciate you. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for joining us on the Post-Christian Podcast. More resources available at ericbryant.org.